funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Newark Mayor Roz Baraka tosses his hat into the ring for New Jersey governor, making a surprising announcement. You too can stand here at the Trenton War Memorial and say, I want to be the governor of the state of New Jersey. Plus, U.S. Senate candidate Tammy Murphy takes her stand, now a staunch critic of a proposed gas power plant and challenging her husband's wavering support of the plan. I stand strongly uh, together with you and I oppose the PBSC uh, plant. Also, a Hoboken councilman hits the streets making deliveries, calling for increased e-bike safety regulations. The problem we have is with, unfortunately, our e-delivery are on the sidewalks, and it's an accident waiting to happen. And The Change Project, our new digital series that shines a spotlight on the state's social and economic challenges. More than half of the maternal deaths um, are after a woman gives birth, and a lot of them come in those first six weeks. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Newark Mayor Roz Baraka is putting the rumors to rest. In the middle of a fiery speech honoring Black History Month at the Trenton War Memorial on Monday, Baraka told a cheering crowd he wants to be the next governor of New Jersey. There has been talk among political circles for years that Baraka was eyeing a run. That part was expected. What no one anticipated was that he dropped the bombshell mid-speech without a formal campaign launch. Catching even his most fervent supporters off guard there, including Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, who joined him on stage. Baraka is a former high school principal who served as mayor of the state's largest city for a decade. If elected, he'll be the first black governor in New Jersey history. But before voters cast their ballot in the 2025 gubernatorial election, they'll first have to decide if they want to put another Murphy in office. First Lady Tammy Murphy's bid for a U.S. Senate seat is kicking it up a notch as she looks to set herself apart from her husband, most recently putting her at odds with the governor on a long-debated natural gas power plant, a proposal the administration has allowed to move forward, but Tammy Murphy now opposes. Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports. First Lady Tammy Murphy wanted to make a couple of things clear today. One, she was here in the Ironbound not as First Lady, but as a candidate for U.S. Senate, highlighting a policy position. And two, to say... I stand strongly uh, together with you, and I oppose the PBSC uh, plant, an additional one, in this space. The proposed Passaic Valley Sewerage Commission power plant in Newark's Ironbound community is a controversial proposal to build a backup facility to the existing structure here as a way to protect against power failures, like the one that created an environmental mess in Newark during Superstorm Sandy. Residents here and others have been fighting the plan for years. 
we've had hope. And hope's a stubborn thing <laughs> that maybe, just maybe, a small neighborhood, a small, well, the largest city, right, with a mighty heart, can defeat a fourth power plant against all the powers that be, especially in the times of climate change. As a matter of politics, though, today's event was intended to put some distance between the first lady and the governor, who's been dragging his heels on the issue and giving more reasons to be for it than against it. Despite her reminding us that she was here as a U.S. Senate candidate and not as a first lady, reporters wanted to know how the Senate candidate with the most access to the man with the most influence on the issue was using it or not using it. You have to admit, though, that you do have extraordinary access to the governor who has uh, an important role to play here. Is it your contention that you're purposely not speaking to him about it or you just don't want to share those conversations with us now? You know, I, listen, I am, again, I'm going to say this, this is one person, an independent thinker, who is coming to you today and saying, from my vantage point, we have to reassess this. I am not speaking for the governor, and Understood. I am. Have I you am. Talked to him about it. Uh, I am. I've been talking to other people about this. This is not a. This is not something that that I would. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm. I'm not here to stand up and speak for the administration. That's not my role here today. And if that's the essence of your questions, with all due respect, it, that's the end of the it's conversation. Not. The PVSC had no comment on Murphy's event. The First Lady is the highest profile opponent of the proposal, and environmentalists here were applauding her joining the fight. But the fact is, says the Assemblywoman who represents the Ironbound, Tammy Murphy was here as a candidate for office not as a policymaker. Right, exactly. And it's helpful, right? Um, it's helpful when there's a political capacity that is also married um, yeah. to the governor of the state of New Jersey. Um, and I think that the governor will end up doing the right thing. Which could be seen as a good thing for a Senate candidate who so far has been getting criticized for her proximity to the governor, even if she's still working on how best to articulate how fine the line is that she's trying to walk. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. The public got their first shot today to weigh in on a multi-billion dollar plan to replace the Port Authority's Midtown bus terminal. The 73-year-old Manhattan facility is slated to get a total overhaul that's expected to give the 200,000 commuters who travel through it each weekday better access to mass transit. As Ted Goldberg reports, the first and only in-person hearing wasn't without detractors, especially those who'll be living next door to the construction. Today's facility is antiquated, uh, beyond, again, its state of good repair. Even Port Authority employees argue that its main bus terminal in New York City needs to be replaced. They say the new facility, projected to cost $10 billion, will make life easier for New Jersey's commuters and travelers into the city. We are unable to allow for charging stations or double-decker buses, which reduces congestion. So all of these shortcomings will be addressed and provided for in the new bus facility. Buses come in from the Lincoln Tunnel and they circulate along local city streets. That creates a lack of dependency for the commuter. It creates congestion in the local neighborhood and we will be remediating that through a new ramp structure. Today, the Port Authority held its only in-person public hearing for anyone who wants to share their opinions on the ambitious new project. 
There are three more virtual hearings between now and the end of the public comment period. City resident Nancy Sharon praised the planned facility, saying it looks easier to get around than the current 73-year-old station. I was glad to see that there's uh, an attention to the accessibility. I'm a senior citizen now, and my husband is also a senior citizen, 91 years old. He has difficulty walking and walks with a cane. She also had suggestions for the Port Authority, and she wasn't alone. Terminals without seating is a real difficulty for people who can't stand for long periods of time. Um, so please think about, and my, there's no way my husband could sit on the floor the way a younger person could do it. If he sat on the floor, he wouldn't be able to get up. It would be nice if there were a website for this process that let us know what kind of disruption we can expect and for how long. It's a modern facility that's just being shoehorned into, um, into the Midtown area. Regional planner Zoe Baldwin doesn't see it that way. We really see this as a kind of a big, beautiful, ambitious proposal that really represents a lot of what this region needs. She says the $10 billion project will only get more expensive with time. And the current plan doesn't exactly encourage people to use mass transit. Getting through the station, the wayfinding as we call it, is terrible at Port Authority Bus Terminal. Baldwin says a crucial part of the plan is the direct ramp from the bus terminal to the Lincoln Tunnel. You get stuck in traffic in the tunnel, normal traffic, but then you get stuck in traffic that is literally because the buses are backing up in the terminal. The traffic that backs up in the terminal itself is it's maddening because you're so close. It makes you want to just hop off the bus when you're a rider and you can't do that for a number of reasons, right? If you want to share your thoughts on this project, the Port Authority is taking public comment until March 18th. In Manhattan, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. This time of year, prospective college students are typically awaiting financial aid offers from their schools of choice, but colleges and universities across New Jersey and nationwide are facing delays in receiving students' financial information from the U.S. Department of Ed's Free Application for Federal Student Aid. It's better known as FAFSA. Due to complications, of course, with the rollout of a new form, which opened in December. The delays and glitches are so widespread, many colleges are now postponing enrollment deadlines to rein in the chaos. Education and welfare writer Hannah Gross is with me now to explain what it means for New Jersey's students. Hannah, so good to talk to you. So walk me through first what this new FAFSA application is and why the U.S. Department of Ed chose to roll it out this year. Yeah, so the U.S. Department of Education just released the Better FAFSA, which is supposed to be a more streamlined form with fewer questions that will hopefully allow people to get through the form faster. They were actually supposed to release it a year ago, um, but they needed a bit more time, and it seems like there's still some delays even with that extra buffer. So what kind of glitches were they coming up against? I mean, are students able to apply at all? What's happening? Yeah, so typically the form is available beginning in October, but this year it was not released until the very end of December, and that was a soft launch that had some glitches. So it really wasn't until in January, later in the winter, when people were really able to fill out the form. And there are still some students who can't fill out the online form at all, such as students whose parents don't have a social security number. 
Is this affecting freshmen only? Is it affecting students who are heading into their second, third, last year and have typically relied on that financial aid package? The concerns are primarily surrounding freshmen who need to make this college decision and might not have their financial aid offers in front of them when they have to decide which school they want to go to if right now is the right time for them to pursue college at all. So what schools have you spoken to in the state who are now saying, hey, you know what, we're going to pump the brakes on enrollment? Yeah, so I've reached out to some of the largest schools in New Jersey, Rutgers, which is the largest. They're going to be postponing when their financial aid applications are due and also when the enrollment deadline is to June 1st. Montclair State University and Kane and Georgian Court are also delaying to June 1st, and NJIT said they're monitoring the situation and may delay, which might be true of other schools as well. Yeah, I'm sure that there will be. Okay, so, I mean, how many students are we talking about who typically use this? And realistically, what does it mean when there's a month taken off of that timeline? Yeah, so nationally, about 17 million students fill this out every year. And so far, the most recent data from the U.S. Department of Education has us sitting at around 4 million. That's a so, significant drop, yeah. Yeah, so it's much lower than in previous years. And the whole process has kind of been delayed at every point. And then as a student, I mean, you get those offers and you've got to really take a fine tooth comb to them mm -hmm. to look through the different packages and what's going to be best for you. That window now is a lot shorter for kids to make these decisions. Yeah, so regular decision acceptances normally come out March, early April, and the aid offers are normally around that same time. But right now, it's seeming like those aid offers might not be able to get to students until a bit later, which is why some schools are delaying the deadline. Very quickly, is there anywhere that students can go for help? Yeah, so they can go to the U.S. Department of Education's website, um, the Federal Student Aid Office. They can also, in New Jersey, go to the Higher Education Student Assistance Authority, and they're offering some personalized support, as well as students' guidance counselors. That's probably the best bet where you know you can talk to someone one-on-one -on -one and get that individual help. All right, Hannah Gross for us, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Bree. A Hoboken City Councilman is taking to heart a promise he made on the campaign trail that he'd keep pedestrians safe from the surge of e-bikes that have been zipping up and down sidewalks. To find a solution, Councilman Paul Presenzano took a part-time gig delivering for Uber Eats, getting a first-hand look at what it's really like as a delivery worker in the Mile Square City. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has the story. The problem we have is with, unfortunately, our e-delivery are on the sidewalks, and it's an accident waiting to happen. Hoboken Councilman Paul Presenzano's traded in a suit and tie for a bike and riding vest. He's taken a part-time job as an e-delivery rider with Uber Eats to better understand the challenges that delivery riders face, a move he says is meant to inform an ordinance he's recently proposed. We tout Vision Zero in this town, and we're very proud of it, that we've had zero deaths in seven years. I do not want to have a statistic where we have one death on the sidewalk and none on the street. He was just elected in November and campaigned on the promise to prioritize pedestrian safety. His ordinance would require all e-bike delivery riders pass a one-page test to prove they understand the rules of the road, or rather the sidewalk, and they'd need to purchase a safety vest that would be required when they ride. Not only am I really protecting the people on the sidewalk, because we can see them in a distance and we could kind of situate ourselves, 
but also making it safer on them for when they're on the streets. But several local groups oppose the ordinance, saying it doesn't get to the root of the infrastructure problem in Hoboken, double parked cars that force cyclists onto sidewalks. If there was more loading zones for cars, for drivers, then and there was a protected bike lane, then each one would have its own space and it would be safer for everyone. Bike Hoboken's Chris Adair says it creates unnecessary barriers to e-delivery, which has impacts beyond Hoboken. We don't want to like create barriers and de-incentivize that because that's going to help New Jersey and Hoboken get to carbon neutrality, their carbon neutrality goals. And while Hoboken grapples with this ordinance, there's a bill making its way through the legislature right now that would require drivers of any motorized bikes or scooters that go up to 20 or 25 miles an hour to be licensed and carry insurance. There's really no current insurance on the market that could cover this. So that is a big obstacle in and of itself. And that's where these Hoboken opponents find themselves on the same side. I really want to know how they're going to do this with the DMV. We're struggling with real IDs and we can't even get in there to do that. And then we're going to add a percentage of more people coming in for e-bikes. How do we do that? We have to think about what it costs to train our police force because we need to do that for liability's sake. We need to think about how certain towns are set up for this. In a transportation committee hearing last week, Senator Raj Mukherjee said he doesn't love the bill and does expect amendments to be made on the current version. And while it's not clear what enforcement of any of this would look like, we did speak with one delivery rider who said ticketing would have a big impact on his fellow riders. I feel like enforcement is a big one because here's the thing. I get a ticket, I'm going to tell all my friends. Another guy gets a ticket, he's going to tell all his friends. Next thing you know, nobody's on the sidewalks. But to really get to the heart of the issue, Ron Bautista says you have to look at why these riders operate the way they do in the first place. He blames the delivery companies. Their payment methods for, for workers, uh, they encourage unsafe riding. And they awesome. say because they're, 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 the way they, they get paid is based on how much they ride. What I would like to see is uh, for our local governments to push delivery companies to, one, pay them the right amount. And he'd like to see them pay fees to the city. They're calling for all stakeholders to create a more comprehensive plan together. In Hoboken, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, a massive credit card company merger is on the horizon. Capital One is buying Discover Financial for $35 billion. Analysts expect the deal to take a big piece of the market currently dominated by Visa and MasterCard. The pair have come under fire in recent years for the fees they charge to process payments. It'll also make a formidable rival for American Express. According to Capital One CEO, the acquisition of Discover allows both companies to improve their technology and expand their payment networks. The deal gives the bank access to another roughly 305 million cardholders. That's on top of its existing base of about 100 million people. But consumer advocates, they're pushing back on the sale, saying it poses antitrust concerns because federal regulations require a merger of this size to show how it would benefit the public as well as shareholders. Turning to Wall Street, stocks fell to start this shortened holiday week, led by a decline in tech earnings. Here's where the markets closed today.
leave you tonight with the first in a new series NJ Spotlight News is launching called The Change Project. It takes a deeper look at the state's social and economic challenges and the inequalities residents are facing from birth through school to finding an affordable place to live. The Change Project focuses on possible remedies, including the steps that have already led to positive change. We begin with a topic that's been front and center lately, maternal health outcomes. I recently spoke with health care writer Lilo Stainton about her piece examining a home nurse program for new moms. So Lilo, uh, through your reporting, New Jersey has really embraced this new program to help maternal health outcomes. What is it uh, and what did you find in looking into it? Right, so basically this the model is called Family Connects. It's in place in 19 states and communities in, across the country. Um, it, it has been, pre it involves a nursing home visit and it's universal, so that means that every new mom who is, who gives birth in the counties that are now in play is eligible for a visit. Um, doesn't matter if you have insurance, doesn't matter your immigration status, it doesn't matter how much you earn. Is that um, what sets it apart very yes, quickly that from is, other programs? Yes, and the fact that it's a nurse making the visit is another unique feature. But together, that um, the nurse will go to your home, um, assess the mom and the baby's health and connect, identify things that they may be missing. It may be lactation services. It may be they need a crib. It may be, you know, they don't have a bus pass, but it may also be, you know, a referral for um, postpartum depression treatment. So they will then connect the family with the services they need. And there's another person on the back end who works to make sure that the gaps in the services are filled and so that you're not, you don't have people who are calling in line where nobody's answering. And, mm. Things like that. So that it's it's together, it's really meant to sort of wrap around these families and lift them up. Well, why is that important? Because so babies, when they're born, they have checkups right away, right. one week and, right. and every week after. Moms, though, they don't typically check in with their OB until about six weeks, and a lot happens in those first six exactly. weeks. Exactly. So it turns out that... Um, more than half of the maternal deaths um, are after a woman gives birth, and a lot of them come in those first six weeks. I think about a quarter of them. So, what we've what you know these experts are saying is that if we can get into the home, then we can talk to mom and say, you know, that weird headache you're having—that's actually a blood pressure problem. We should go to the hospital, or you should see a doctor. It's not urgent, but get there. Um, you know, and those are the kinds of things where you know moms. Not being a mom myself, I, I feel like a fraud saying this, but, you know, I hear they're very busy when they get home from the hospital with this new <laughs> baby and stuff, and it's, like, overwhelming, right? So um, so I think it's easy for people to say, you know, my priority is my child right now, and, you know, whatever it is that I'm, there's an itch, there's an infection. They might it's not mine, even be go going away. to get that checked yeah, out. It will go, yeah. What are the results show us uh, from this program? So the, the results largely come from the first program, which was implemented in the 2000s in Durham and in the surrounding communities in North Carolina. And one thing they found is that it cut emergency room visits for mom and baby in half in the first year, not just in the first few weeks, but that lasted over the first year. Um, it also uh, significantly decreased reports of postpartum depression for mom, which is a huge issue. Um, and it also cut in half complaints of child abuse, which was a, a big issue in the community. So. 
Um, it's so, it's proven, and um, there, there are other metrics as well, but it has proven to sort of make this difference. It has not been assessed for maternal mortality impacts, mm -hmm. but it's pretty clear from people you talk to that there, there are sort of these anecdotes where nurses are saving lives. Yeah. So um, the data will is still to come on that. And certainly a ripple effect if they have that connection with a medical provider. Exactly. So uh, it's fairly new in being rolled out. How's it going? Are there challenges? And mo I'm thinking money, which is always mm -hmm. an issue in getting these programs to last. Right. So this is, what's particularly unique about this is, I mean, we talk all the time to, to new programs that are coming online and in communities that are interesting and have promise. This is going to be statewide, and it is backed by law, which makes it only the second in the country to be this way. Um, New Jersey started with five counties, uh, Cumberland, Gloucester, Middlesex, Mercer, and Essex. It will, by 2027, it will be in place in all 21 counties or start to be in place in all 21 counties. Um, yeah, challenges, funding, they've got $35 million up front for the first few years, um, or for the first installment, um, but you know, challenging is hi hiring nurses. Nurses are in huge demand. They're gonna need 250 by the time the program is statewide. That's many times over what they have so far. Um, so there, there are, and particularly black and bilingual nurses, which is so critical. If, if the program is gonna connect with families, you know, people need to feel like they can trust the person coming into your home. It's extremely private to have a nurse coming into your home, yeah. especially you think even if you're there with a baby, I mean. At your most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so they've got some challenges, but the nurses, one of the stories I wrote is about the nurses and they are just the best advertisement for the program. They are so enthusiastic about this work. And everybody can check out uh, your full report plus that sidebar on those nurses, the great work that they do on our website, njspotlightnews.org. Lilo Stainton, thank you so much. Thank you, Bree. And that does it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. Have some water. Look at these kids. What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member.